0: How many of you can remember what you did yesterday? Go ahead and think for a second, okay. Broad strokes, right? (laughs) Okay. How about a week ago? Yes, okay, good, good. Let's make it a little little more difficult. Six months ago, so uh, where would we have been six months ago, October or so? What were you doing in the second weekend of October? Probably most of us, like, we don't just recall things like that. We have to kind of go back and maybe make some connections uh, to recall what we're doing. Of course, that's one of the nice things about, at least I think, uh, about our phones uh, these days, at least if, you're, you know, depending on how it's connected and, and even something like Facebook, you get memories and those reminders. And uh, yesterday it was fun to see some pictures and reminders of something like years ago um, Fourteen years ago, kind of memories that i wouldn 't have been thinking about yesterday, but that reminder is there, so we we need those things we make we make scrapbooks and we we set up things in our home to, to remind us of things that are important well, um, so our Bible is just a little bit older than last week and fourteen years ago, right of course we weren 't there and and so we do our best hopefully as as we read it. Uh, I do my best, i hope as i Teach it to give us what we need to understand what was happening and to try to place ourselves in in the time we have to remember the bible wasn 't written to us right it wasn 't it was written in our case we 're in the book of Hebrews. It was written to this this group of people and so it 's not to us but it's it is for us we understand god 's word to be his uh, breathed out that is from his mind, his heart to his people, and so there was initial Immediate audiences that it was written to and spoken to, uh, but God intended that it be for His people for all times. I, I say all this because we we continue in Hebrews and we're in a section this morning, um, chapter nine, verse one, uh, and it's going to go into chapter ten. It'll be a few weeks for us where our author continues to address how Jesus is the true and better and greater High Priest. But see again, priest. Who woke up this morning wondering about their high priest? Okay, that was a joke from a couple weeks ago. We don't, we don't wake up thinking about these kind of things uh, because we're so far removed for, from this. But but the writer wants us to know, even those of us that have never lived under the old covenant law, priestly system, right? That that even so, Jesus, the one we probably mostly think of as Savior. That's that's something that's probably common to us. We sang about it already. What a wonderful Savior. Um, he nonetheless is high priest. And so we've, we've been touching on it. And the author of Hebrews, I was talking to a friend who preached through Hebrews last year. Um, and it's almost the same sermon in some regards every week for quite a while here in, in this part of the book. But, but now, beginning at 9-1, the author's going to address specific ways in which Jesus' new covenant ministry. So if you were with us last week, um, we were really kind of trying to understand the old covenant uh, that is mostly the Mosaic uh, law covenant. Someone came up and asked a good clarifying question. And there, there, were, many, there were many covenants uh, in the what we call Old Testament, right, before Christ. God gave a covenant uh, to Abraham, a couple actually, and there's the Noahic covenant related to Noah. But, but here in Hebrews, when it's talking old covenant versus new covenant, you need to think Moses. You need to think uh, the law, 400 and some laws, right? Uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, like that, that part of our, of our Bible. So now, one more time, I'll finish the sentence. We're trying to understand the specific ways that Jesus's new covenant ministry, remember last week in communion, the new covenant in his blood, what he's done now, how, how that sacrifice of, of his needs to be seen as so far superior to the sacrificial ministry of priests under the old covenant. And again, it's not that it was bad. It just, it, it couldn't accomplish what we need. And it was pointing forward, pointing forward uh, to what we really do need. You know, uh, I, I was kind of talking about phones uh, last time and how, you know, every so often, like, the technology changes and the companies want us to upgrade and drop another $6,000. And uh, and many of us have these, you know, cell phone graveyards piling up in our homes uh, and places. Uh, I was just thinking, like, my kids, they don't know what it's like to have to say, Mom, Dad, can I make a long-distance call to Petaluma? Right? What, what is what is that? Some of you are thinking a long-distance call, right? Um, I, I'm old enough to remember watching my older brother, so I never had to do this. But when we lived in, in Germany, um, we didn't have a phone. He had to go for a walk to a pay phone to call his girlfriend who lived somewhere else in Germany, and so. Like, what? I get, at least at least I had the phone in my house. Now, it started with this dial, a rotary thing, and it was a big deal when we got touch tone. And uh, anyway, uh, the smiles and some of the nods tell me you, you understand. Um, some technology, it really is good. We don't live, you know, rotary, long-distance call to Petaluma. It's good to, uh, to, to be on this side of that. But here's the point, especially you... And just help me out. How many of you... Like You don't know what I mean when I say call Petaluma long distance. Okay, thank you for a couple honest hands. See, like that means nothing to some of you. Now raise your hand if it does mean something, whether it's Petaluma or somewhere else. Okay, okay. Some of you should be raising your hands. I won't call you out, but uh, okay. Here's why I say this. Because chapter 9, verses 1 to 10, um, is going to talk about worship under the old covenant. This This is like... Not only the writer of Hebrews, but but in the whole New Testament, it's the most specific look back at what it was like. Um, Specifically, we're going to get into like almost speaking through Leviticus of of what the priests had to do, and I'm going to read it. And for all of us, it's going to be like some of you calling Petaluma long distance. Like, okay, this stuff I just have no category for it. But it was worship. We're going to see that in verse one. It, It was worship. And just like when I wanted to call Petaluma Long Distance and, and find out if Petaluma Music Center had this new guitar pedal in stock so I could, could get it, right? Well, like, and that was important. So, so for God's people, this is gonna impact what was worship. We're used to this today in, in our context. It, it looks different. So let me, let me read 1 to 10 and we'll see worship under the old covenant. And I'm, I'm just gonna kind of move relatively quickly through it. And then the second part of today, Verses 11 through 14 of chapter 9, um, we will, it's actually going to keep going next week. We'll kind of have to go back and forth a little bit, but we will then see the truly superior nature of Jesus' sacrifice sacrifice in the new covenant as, again, juxtaposed to that old covenant worship. Um, and specifically today, then, what it means that Jesus is our redeemer. And see, there's another word, redemption, rescue, Such a foreign idea. But let's first start with verses 1 to 10 of chapter 9. I'll read all 10 verses and then kind of move back through it rather quickly. So Hebrews 9, beginning at verse 1. Now, even the first covenant, old covenant, had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But in the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. This is the word of the Lord. Long distance called a Petaluma, right? (laughs) I mean, okay. So maybe if you have a study Bible or maybe you've you've spent time in a a study working through Leviticus and, and, and the the tabernacle, the tent, all these things. But again, for, for most of us, this is just not um, stuff we traffic in. And I love right there in the middle uh, at verse 5 where... The writer says, of these things, we cannot now speak in detail, okay? If you want detail, you go back to Leviticus and read. And, and let's be honest, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, it's about in Leviticus when you start getting into all of this stuff that you get behind and it just gets more difficult. And often we have all, and I've been there many times, like failed in the reading. Okay, can I get an amen, please? Thank you. Okay, it's hard. It's hard work for us. But it's God's word. Absolutely. And again, it was given to God's people, and there's reasons. And and so we want to understand that. But again, it it was pointing ahead. But first, then, these 10 verses this worship under the old covenant. And again, as I mentioned already, it says there in verse 1 that there uh, were under this covenant these regulations. Uh, And again, this has to do with um, guidelines, God's directives concerning how the priest specifically would would handle the sacrifices and how it was to be conducted, okay? And so what I want to do is note just kind of three broad things, because this is what our author does. He's going to point out three characteristics, we could call them, of worship under the old covenant, and then what he does beginning at verse 11 is contrast those same three with Jesus and how his ministry under the new covenant is in fact superior and so it's the same three things that he's going to begin at 9 11 and then go into chapter 10 okay so we're going to just see these broad categories under the old covenant this worship under the old covenant and then take a look at uh, try to spend most of our time in in the final four verses this morning uh, 11 to 14 through 14 so first then we want to notice the place of the offerings in the earthly tabernacle. Okay, so under the Old Covenant, worship under the Old Covenant, we want to notice the place of the offerings. Okay, where were these offerings? Well, simply put, it was in, um, in this tent. That's what the word tabernacle means, if you hear that word. It's just a way of saying uh, tent. There was this this tent that was made, and uh, God gave directions to Moses on what it was to look like, and its length and width, and what kind of um, specific materials were to be used, and and it was a big deal. Um, you know, I, I think back to like our, our, especially our Grove days of having church for tw- a year, six months, and then we were at Spring Hills for six months in the back. Uh, some of you, a lot of you, like we had pop up tents to put up and you know some some our our background tent like that's nothing compared to this tabernacle tent that that God's people were to set up quite a big ordeal and they they set this up and this is where God had the priests come to do these these things and it's interesting too just to note by now in terms of like the the story the chronology rather um the temple has existed so so um right Herod had rebuilt the temple, and it was magnificent, it probably when the writer's writing hadn't been destroyed yet, but, but our, our author doesn't call attention to the temple, even though at that time that was the sort of the core place where people thought of God's presence uh, because it was the tabernacle, it was what God gave to Moses in the law that concerns our author's uh, purposes to contrast, okay, what, what God had said under the old covenant versus what God now was doing in the new. So, again, simply put, the place of the offerings were this this tent, this tabernacle. Um, and it, it lists here in the first part a bunch of the pieces of this tent. Uh, verse 2, of this tent was prepared and there was a first section. And in that first section, it, it says that there's the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. Now, it's interesting. Um, probably the lampstand and the bread, okay, these two items here in verse 2, pretty easily we can say those point ahead to Jesus. Jesus in John chapter 9 would identify himself as the light of the world. In John 6 verse 35, he identified himself as the bread of, of life. And in the new temple, um, he he is the bread of the presence presence which never has to be replaced. John 2 21. And so there's this this idea where we can go, okay, hmm, this lampstand, well, Jesus is the light of the world. So so that maybe is a type or, or again a foreshadowing. And then the bread that represents God's presence, well, that would be, of course, Jesus Himself. Um, not everything necessarily has a one-to-one correspondence. But again, the high priest would have to come in into this inner chamber. And by the way, it's Leviticus 16. If you want to do what our author says there in verse uh, 5, or rather the opposite, if if you want to uh, look at detail in these things, Leviticus 16 is really going to be the place where this gets most unpacked. So the high priest would go in, and and the high priest um, would, would have to spend some time, again, especially before the annual trip into the Holy of Holies to get, himself ready, and it was quite an ordeal. Um, In fact, it would have been terrifying for the the high priests uh, as they would consider um, this. In fact, let me just read part of Leviticus 16. Again, right, this is so far removed from us, but it might help if we hear some of these texts. So Leviticus chapter 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. (laughs) So imagine you're a high priest, and this is your job now. And you're well aware of what happened to Aaron's sons. You're well aware of what God said to Moses about Aaron. Like, you don't just do it willy nilly. Like, it's, there's a right way to do it. The high priest would have been terrified if they took God's word seriously. And it says there, again, the end of verse 2 For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. And it's going to go on and, and describe, again, what was to happen. The high priest. Would have been rightly terrified at going in. This this entering in into the, this inner chamber. Right again, it, it was God's presence, but but yet a picture. We saw the word last week a shadow of of things to come. Okay, so so the point at this junction is just to note under Old Testament, the Old Covenant worship, um, the place of the offerings was this tent, this tabernacle. Okay, then secondly, we want to notice the blood of the offering. So let me continue back in Hebrews. All right, I'm going to jump rather again. Verses 1 through 7, 8, they they, again talk about the place and all the things and once a year and so forth. But I'll pick it up in verse 6 rather. So these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into that first section... Performing their ritual duties, but into the second, only the high priest, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts, sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and various washings, regulations, and so forth. The point is, he went in once a year to that holy of holies, that second section, and and there was blood. There was blood. And so again, this is now speaking of this this day of atonement, Leviticus 16, as I've noted. Um, The high priest has to take sacrifice, make sacrifice, and then the blood goes in, and, and there's these goats. One's uh, slaughtered for the, as a sin offering for the people, and then there's a second goat that the text in Leviticus explains is a scapegoat, again, which all represent uh, the sins um, being sent away and so forth as this goat would then go into the desert. And so God instructed that Aaron take the blood of both the bull and the sacrificed goat behind the curtain, so that the blood of each would be sprinkled in, on the atonement cover. And, and so, again, blood was always something that was part of worship, I, right? So here we are today. None of us came in with blood. We don't have out in the courtyard anything like that going on. And praise the Lord for that, okay? like And this is our author's whole point. Jesus has been sacrificed. He is the sacrificial lamb once and for all. But he wants us to, to understand this high priest once a year would go in and this, this whole thing would happen. And again, it was pointing ahead, pointing ahead. We're going to see, though, that that blood wasn't, it, it couldn't accomplish what God wanted. So there's the place of old covenant worship, the tabernacle. There was the need for blood to be part of these sin offerings. But every year, every year, every year. And then notice just briefly the perpetual nature of the offerings so I read this already, but just listen again. Verse six, the priests go in regularly into that first section and then into that second section once a year. It just keeps being repeated. So if you were alive and it was that year, the priest would do it and, and all that would happen, but it would come back next year and it would have to happen again. In other words, the sacrifice would be made, the, the offering would be made, um, but it, it obviously didn't, finished the job. It didn't take away sin because you still sinned and the priest still sinned and so it it would just have to keep happening. The sacrifice had to keep happening. It was perpetual. And so our author, having walked through again in 10 verses what's going on in in the old covenant worship of Leviticus 16, then comes uh, at verse 11. And again, this is going to be a section that's going to go into chapter 10, where we see the superiority of Jesus's sacrifice in the new covenant contrasted. So just as in the old covenant, there was a place, there was blood, and there was um, a perpetual nature, if you will. Now we're going to see here with Jesus that um, the place is different, the blood is different, and instead of having to happen over and over and over again, it's, it is finished, even as Jesus said from the cross once and for all, so um, let me read verses eleven through fourteen, and this is glorious this is glorious, but when Christ appeared, now word order matters we we get uh, this conjunction there, but contrasting things uh, in, in the original, the word Christ is first um, in some languages. Uh, really the first word is there and it means this is the emphasis. So as opposed to Old Covenant worship, Christ, the Messiah. Okay, it's quite a big deal. When Christ appeared as High Priest of the good things that have come. Those are the New Covenant good things we looked at last week as we saw Jeremiah 31. When Christ appeared appeared as high priest of these good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect, better, superior, you hear that? Through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer if all that sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is the word of the Lord. So did you hear the the same three big areas, right? The place under old covenant worship was this tent. Well, the place now of Jesus' offering is, is in heaven, and this was already pointed out in our text last week. Here he calls it simply, through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, right? That's speaking of being in the very presence of God. That's the, the the place of Jesus's new covenant, mediatorial role, acting as our high priest. So it's in heaven now. Of course, he did his work on the earth, uh, and but but now, as the one who has ascended, he is at the right hand of the Father. And again, we've we've looked at that uh, already quite a bit here in Hebrews. Second thing, right? Under Old Covenant worship, there was blood of animals. Well, our text tells us here that Jesus shed his own blood rather than having to use the blood of mere animals. And by the way, you you heard it, hopefully, in the language, for if, at the start of verse 13 and then at 14, how much more? The author is doing an argument from lesser to greater. And so the point is, so if this blood had a part in cleansing, you know, the flesh and kind of just keeping God's people living the way God intended under the old covenant, how much more now has this blood of Christ that's been shed once and for all been applied to all of us? And now not only, and then that third point, if, if under the old covenant was perpetual every year, every year, now he says the blood of Jesus, it's for an eternal, an eternal uh, cleansing an eternal redemption, he says there at the end of of verse 12. We'll come back to that word redemption in a minute. How much more? One writer, commentator, wants to make sure, help us understand that this this isn't what he calls a a crass uh, idea here that that Jesus somehow took his physical blood with him to heaven, okay? Okay. but simply wanting us to understand uh, the old covenant high priest took blood into the most holy place and Jesus, by his blood on earth, like that blood was counted so that he now in the most holy place in God's presence has applied that, that blood to us. But, but let's, let's circle back at, at this word eternal. It comes up a couple times. So notice in, in verse 12. Jesus entered once for all into the holy place not by the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And then it says verse thirteen, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons, right, if it sanctify for the purification of the flesh, here it is. Now how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, there is the word eternal again, offer him offered himself. Our author wants us to know what had to be done every year, every year, every year. That's, that's done. It's, it's now been done one time. And it's of eternal deliverance, eternal redemption for God's people. And that redemption, that was eternal. It happened, he says here in verse 14, through the eternal spirit. My Bible has spirit capitalized. Probably the editors are making a judgment there that it refers to the Holy Spirit It could be referring to Jesus's uh, spirit, um, right? They didn't capitalize things like we do to, to try to, you know, convey something. If it is the Holy Spirit, notice the Trinitarian nature of this verse. People ask all the time, well, where's the Trinity in the Bible? Well, that word, no, isn't, but we see the triune God at work. Well, listen right here in verse 14. The blood of Christ, so there's the Son, who through the eternal spirit, there's God, the Holy Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, and that's a reference to God the Father. And we know from Luke that Jesus did walk in the power of the Spirit. And that's one of Luke's contributions, different from Matthew, Mark, and John, that, that Jesus was submitting to the Holy Spirit, leading him and moving him and guiding him, and it just is all the time in Luke. So it very much could be that our writer wants to say, the Holy Spirit had this this work in, in our redemption, even as Paul would say in Ephesians 1, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all play a part, our triune God at work, giving us, again, now back to verse 12, our eternal redemption. Let me me draw two implications. Um, You know, this is one of those passages, um, like many, in fact, in, in the Bible, that don't have an imperative. There is no command. The author doesn't pause and say, so, therefore, I want you to know X, Y, and Z, and I want you to do A, B, and C, or, or anything like that. So uh, I have to come up with that uh, implication from, from the text. Really, the, the main thing ought to be, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that this is done. And, and again, for us who are so far removed, right, maybe the closest thing we can do, and kids only do this under your parents' watchful care, but like watch Raiders of the Lost Ark to get an idea of the Ark of the Covenant, some of you seen that right? Indiana Jones goes and looks for the ark. We we only Hollywood can get us kind of a glimpse. Or again, if we have a study Bible, we maybe have some drawings. We just don't get this. We don't live in this. Um, so our writer helps unpack it. So so our first response is just worship. Okay, God, I I'm thankful I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to worry about my high priest, and I don't have to perpetually go through this. Now it's done. Now it's it's the your presence where jesus is my my high priest and his blood was shed once for all, and it's now secured an eternal redemption, so there's praise really that's 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 the application first and foremost, but I do have two things I want us to consider this morning, number one, because of this, because of the superior nature of Jesus and his work as our high priest, let's do what the writer said back in chapter four. Let's draw near to God with confidence. So back in chapter four, verse 16, the writer said, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I need mercy daily from you all, my family, I need mercy daily from God. Uh, I need grace daily from you all and from my family and most definitely from God. I need help hourly from you all and from God. And and so do you. And notice our author said back there in chapter four, let us then, and again, he's been saying these things in different ways, but here it is again. We can just apply this verse because of Jesus let us draw near with confidence. Church, you can come to him and pray in your time of need, which you do have too. You can come to him and pray when you need grace. You can come to him and pray when you need mercy because you do. Don't sit back thinking, oh, God doesn't want to talk to me. I've screwed up again. That, that sin that I keep doing, I keep doing and God's got to be done with me. That's not God. God is gracious and forgiving and full of loving kindness. And if you're his son or daughter, you can come to him again and again and again and draw near. Remember, we've talked about it. Jesus as the high priest sits there and he's there to intercede for us. And I love how First John puts it. He says, little children, I'm writing to you that you wouldn't sin. Okay. But if you do sin, yeah, I do. We have an advocate, think high priest Hebrews, with the Father, right there, this one that says, Father, that one's mine. That son, daughter, I paid for their sin. I've secured them an eternal redemption. We can pray, we can come boldly with confidence to get the need, our help in time of need, to get the grace we need, to get the mercy we need. So let's be people that come boldly for ourselves and for the world, for things, everything, Let's draw near because of Jesus. That's the first application I want to offer. And then secondly this morning, not only do I hope we would draw near and, and so forth, but let's pray for God to draw others to himself, to this high priest. So what I have in mind here are, are these verses. We haven't talked about these in a while. John six forty four. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him or her. No one can come to God unless God is drawing them. No one can come to Jesus, can find this eternal redemption, salvation, forgiveness unless God is drawing. Well, then I'm, I need to be praying, God, please draw. And I'll trust you, you know, you, you, but I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask. So let's pray for God to draw others to Jesus. Um, Similarly, I was reminded this week um, of some verses in Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 35 to 38 say that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Notice what he says. Pray earnestly for God to send out laborers. So, if my point is, let's pray for God to draw others to Jesus to be redeemed, we're going to look at that here in, in a moment understand that. So then we're praying, God, please draw. And I, I, you know, I can think of names right away. Family members, neighbors, friends who, if, if, if I'm right and I may be wrong, but they don't profess to believe, so I pray, God, draw them, because if you don't draw them, they can't come. But then I need to take Jesus at his word here and pray that God would send people into their life. And it might be me. Definitely, we need to open our mouths. I need to share this good news, but I don't see some of these people daily. So God, would you, would you send a laborer into this plentiful harvest, which my friend, my family member lives, to, to be a good newser, to be someone there. So two prayers, God, draw them to yourself and God, send a laborer. So let's pray for God to draw others so that then they too would be people like us drawing near to Jesus. Do you see that? Now, those are those are my my applications, implications from this. Let's draw near to God because of Jesus, boldly, confidently we, we can, and let's let's pray for God to draw near to people and to draw them to Himself and to send laborers. But I want to end finally this morning by, by coming back to this word, redemption, found again back in chapter nine, verse twelve. So Jesus once and for all entered not by the means of blood and goats, but by means of his own blood, and he secured an eternal redemption. So again, eternal means it's not gonna fade away or, or end, it's gonna last. But but redemption, that's the Bible word. What is redemption? Well, it means to rescue, definitely. Um it needs to to it means to, to have a release from, and, and really um the big idea is is if people are needing to be redeemed, that they need to be rescued from being slaves. Slaves to sin, slaves to the evil one, slaves to darkness, all these images the Bible has, and to be rescued or redeemed. So listen to some of these verses. In Luke chapter 1, speaking of, in, in the context of the birth of the Son, the birth of Jesus, "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel,' for he has visited and redeemed his people. A little bit later, Luke chapter 2, verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. God's people, especially in that time, they were waiting. A lot of people in our world, they aren't waiting for redemption. They don't think they need it. And if That's a little plug for our Sunday Night Theology. We, a couple of weeks ago, started listening to this two-part Tim Keller lecture. How do we tell people that they need redemption when they don't understand that or think, you know, they need it? If anything, they think they need to be saved from people like us that think they need to be saved. So how do we communicate? And so come join us in two weeks for part two. But God's people then, they were waiting for the redemption, the rescuing, the restoring, the freeing. Of Jerusalem, that's a way of saying his people. Or in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, this is a verse I love. Jesus' own words, he said, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, that's redemption language, for many. Jesus came to give his life as the ransom to, to redeem many. And then in the letters of the Apostle Paul to Titus, chapter 2, four. 14, Paul writes, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for us, why? To redeem us, there's the word, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Or Peter's way of putting it, First Peter one eighteen, knowing you were ransomed, from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things. You you weren't redeemed, ransomed by by stuff that that is perishable. But no, um, by blood you were you redeemed were by by the work of Christ. So this is this is redemption. And and again, if you've grown up for a while in church or you've been a Christian for a while, right? It, it's just one of the synonyms of of being a, being saved, being a Christian. Uh, being right with God, but it includes this this rescue, this redemption, and we have it eternally, and it was because of Jesus. It's not because of our work. It's not because we're really good-looking people, even though we are. It's not because we're really nice people, even though some of us might be nicer than others. It's it's, it's not any of that. Nothing, right? It's because of the work of, of Jesus. So, what a superior high priest we have. And we'll continue to unpack chapter nine next week, Lord willing. And until then, let's draw near to God because we can boldly because of Jesus. And let's pray that God would draw others to himself too. Please stand, I'm gonna pray. And then we're gonna close our service with one final song. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord for our great high priest who by his blood once and for all has secured this eternal redemption which we need. And I know most of us in here at least, we, we get that. We we know what we were like, what what it means to have you saved us. Even if we... Had the privilege and blessing of of growing up in in a Christian context, home and church, most of us can look back and and know what what would have been had we not been rescued and had we not had that. So we give you praise and we come before you boldly. We need help. We need grace. We need mercy. We come before you to, to behold this wondrous mystery. But God, I pray too that we would pray that you would draw others to yourself and that you would send people to those others. And even right now, in the quietness of this moment, Father, um, hear, hear the names in our minds, God, the people that we want, if you would be willing to draw to yourself to save, to redeem, draw them. Give us an opportunity, but give others opportunities send laborers into their life. Thank you for a few minutes to look at these things. These things that are so far removed from our understanding and experience, but these are the foundation of how we can be right with you. And so they're important. Thank you for a time to look at it. In Jesus' name.